Hello and welcome to the Thursday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. He's Chris Danziel, and I'm wrong. You know, if there's one thing I realized when I got off the air and just kind of leading up to tip-off, if there's one thing you should never do, it's bet against Villanova at home. Villanova just put together a complete game. I'm sure they listened like a little bit of this pod and was like, man, that Eugene guy, he's an idiot. He always gets a lot of things proven wrong against him. We're about to go out there. And to all the people who say, oh, this conference is a lot more tougher this year. Xavier is going to take it to them on the road. No, no, no doubt. 89 to 65 wire to wire victory for the Villanova Wildcats. And this is definitely by far, without a doubt, their best Big East conference game showing of the season of this very young conference slate so far. But this is the best that they have looked since Big East play began. No prisoners. Everything was perfect. This was a great game between Jalen Brunson going off, four other cats hitting double digits, Trayvon Blewett not doing very much, and J.P. Makira being very, very quiet. Very quiet. I hope someone checked to make sure he was still okay. Probably not, but that man did nothing. Blewett did nothing. And if you told me, who do you think would be the highest scorer on the Musketeers? I would not put my money on Ennis Cantor's brother, Karim, who put together a 16-point game to lead all the Musketeers. Would have never guessed that it would have been that guy. I think that just speaks to the the defense here. Complained about it all last podcast. I poo-pooed the Marquette win to the umpteenth degree because I was scared of the defensive issues. And for one game, and it's just one game, so I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but but it was a pretty big game. But for one game, this defense turned on the switch that has been sitting there turned off for the past couple weeks, and they were finally able to put together a cohesive defensive game. And it was amazing to watch because, as we mentioned last podcast, according to Ken Palm, not the end-all be-all, but Ken Palm had Xavier rated as a higher offense than Marquette, who we viewed as probably one of the best, if not the best offense in the Big East outside of Villanova. And Xavier comes in and only puts up 65 points, 14 of those coming from the free throw line, and they only hit three threes. And and one is it because Xavier was missing open shots. I I cannot count like more than three, four shots that I was like, oh, that was a defensive breakdown. Or, oh, that was a missed assignment or a bad switch that led to an open shot there. Or it was a bad transition defense. No, it was locked down all over the place. And I have to say, we brought it up last time. Communication was key in this game. You saw Bridges and Jalen at the top of the key on on transition plays pointing to where everyone should go that I think that played a huge huge part in this defensive turnaround against the second best team in the Big East offensively I can't even complain there they hit their first two threes of the game I believe those first two shots were like no 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 yes 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 type shots but then after that ball movement was fantastic great and the defense led to the great offense they caused 15 turnovers for Xavier and on the offensive end Villanova turned the ball over only eight times, two of which were by the bench mob, and three of those were by Dante. So the starting lineup only turned the ball over three times the entire game, which is just an absolutely absurd low number. They shot pretty good from deep, 12-31, free throw line 13-18, of 18, but from the field, they were getting to the basket, driving, they were dishing, and it, a lot of inside outs from the offense to create those open threes. Phil Booth my opinion, was the player of the game, hitting everything all over the court, inside and out, five of eight from deep, 
8 of 11 from the field, good for 21. Bridges, one rebound shy of a double-double. Jalen, another fantastic performance. Can't say enough about him. He dropped five times on top of 17 points. It was just a great all-around performance. At the end of the first half, I had mentioned, believe it to you, it was that I had no complaints about this first the first half. Like I loved the way they played. And then after the second half, I continued to send that same sentiment. I really had no issues with how this team played at all, really. Happy with the way they were coached. I think Jay did a great job getting him ready for his big, biggest game of the year up to this point. Made it cook offensively, but more importantly, the defense got itself right. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people were asking questions like, oh, does this team deserve a number one? It just kind of fell yeah. in their lap because yeah, they backed into Duke, it. Yeah, Duke lost, Michigan State lost. What does this defense look like? This is how a number one team plays defense. Trayvon Blewett, where were you? Yeah. Four for 12 on the floor, two for seven from deep. JP Makura. Two for nine, only had five points. This is how a number one team plays defense. You cannot convince me that a number one effort gives up 85 to DePaul. Sure, the the Butler numbers were a little fluky. They gave up 93 points and Butler shot 60%. Sure, throw that out the window because Butler has looked like not that good. Yeah, they've not as good since then. Yeah. And then Marquette, you give up 90 to them. This is what a number one team looks like. This is that type of effort that we saw against Gonzaga when they shut down Jonathan Williams and some of those well-known guys that looked like they could have been a problem for the the Cats, but they didn't end up doing much. This is Villanova basketball. Both ends of the court, both sides were clicking. This was a statement game. You could tell that they really, really were. They're fired up from the get-go. And even when the bench mob was in, the starters were cheering for them. This was just such a high-energy game. And this was a, look, there might be a lot of questions about us. People might be doubting us, but make no mistake. This is still our conference. This is still, we are still the Kings. The road still goes through us. And by taking down a top 10 team in Xavier, holding them to 65, making Trayvon Blewett and J.P. McCure not do much, if anything, forcing 15 turnovers, that is a great effort. And like you mentioned, the offensive numbers, great games by a bunch of different people. But I also want to throw in Eric Pascal hitting threes again. Yeah, he <laughs> made two of them. It's great to see him start to get it going from deep because this is exactly kind of what I envision him being on that side of the court. Yeah, he's athletic. Yeah, he can throw down. Had a nice alley-oop from Phil Booth. But to see him not be restricted to playing with it in the paint or inside the arc is also nice to see because now we really have that threat where all guys, one through five, and that starting five can drain threes. We can now fully officially say it. And Phil Booth, what a game. 21 points, game high. Just as you mentioned, everyone was just pretty much enjoying it. And I would have never guessed that against Xavier on this past Wednesday night that we would see all of the bench mob. Out there on the floor, repping Villanova against the X-Men. It's always, always, always a treat whenever you see them out there. Would have loved to see them get baskets. But, hey, Denny Grace logged logged a rebound. Great win by the Cats. Really no complaints. I, I got home a little late to the game, so I, I didn't get to see it until about maybe the 10-minute mark of the first half. But just from start to finish, this team looks so much more different. So the play looks so clean. It looks so effortless. It looks so easy against the X-Men. And this is just not what it looked like in the last three games. And granted, not every game is going to look like this. Not every game is going to be a 24-point blowout. But their play was just so clean. And this is – it looked like they were back in the shape that we had seen them earlier in the year when they were playing such great basketball, that great Villanova brand of basketball. This is the type of performance you you really expect from this team. A complete two-way game, defense turning into offense. They really didn't do much of anything wrong here at all. And I liked how you put it. 
that it was effortless, easy. At no point did I ever feel concerned that we were going to lose this game once the ball was tipped off, really. Wire to wire, they never let Xavier even like sniff. Like they had a little bit of a run like halfway through the first, but to kind of climb within single digits there. But other than that, Xavier really had no shot, none, none whatsoever. Yeah, no shot really. And we've seen this Musketeer team. They pretty much go as far as Trayvon Blewett and JP McCurra go. And they were very quiet against Providence. I was not expecting them to be quiet once again. It's really hard to keep such great scores bottled up for two straight games, but we saw Villanova be able to do that and then really shut them down and just leave, no doubt. This game was pretty much in the bag or in their favor all throughout, and then as we got late into the second half, and then you finally saw the bench mob out there, that's when you knew. That's when you knew we were taking care of business, and I liked it because I think at the end of the game, or Towards the end of the game on the TV broadcast, might have been the end of the first half or going to the second half. I forgot what part exactly, but the Bachman-Turner overdrive, playing, taking care of business, instrumental. That is just the, it was the perfect music used in the broadcast to really sum up what this game was. Villanova just taking it to the Musketeers, showing them that this is still our conference. This is our house. If you really want the the title that badly, you're going to have to do much better than what you guys did. And we're not going to make it easy. I just love Villanova's effort. Everything just looked so much better. Like the offense was never really in doubt. No. I felt like I, I felt like we we were scoring just fine. I mean, we put up a hundred for the fourth time this season the other day against Marquette. But now to see them not only score well, shoot the ball very well, shoot over fifty percent, thirty eight percent from deep, knock down twelve threes, and then on the other end, you really lock down on that perimeter. A place that had burned you against the Bulldogs and a little bit by Marquette. And to just lock down two of the top players in this conference. Hats off to Nova. Hats off to the Cats. Salute to Jay Wright. This team is number one. They showed it. That they deserved it. Yeah, speaking of their show to run in their house. Their dominance within their house. This is the fifth straight time that... Xavier has come into Villanova and has lost by double digits. And I think this is the fourth of the five that it was by more than 20. I got to just confirm that. But it's crazy. I think we're in their head when they come here. Every time it's it's an absolute throttling. And between that and the home court advantage, that is why I I just couldn't, despite the the bad defense of late, that's why I just couldn't pick Xavier to win this game on the road at Nova. It's just it's just too big of an advantage in the mind game. The mental game is also a pretty big aspect, I felt like. And knowing that you're going into a place that you haven't won yet since the realignment of the Big East, that's pretty crucial, I feel like. And until they get that one win, I think Xavier's going to just be like, oh, great, we got to go there again. It's guaranteed every year now. So hopefully, like as long as these two teams are good and Villanova's playing the way they do now. They should have that edge on Xavier. Yeah, before we were heading into record this morning, I was listening back to a little bit of our last podcast. And first point, uh, I was kind of glad to see that we returned to true form last year, where you were the positive one. You're very optimistic. You thought that we were going to win the game. And then there I was being my classic pessimistic optimist, in which not, not too excited, not getting too excited, keeping the expectations a little curtailed and then just letting the game just bring out whatever emotion happens but point two why did i say that villanova's gonna lose at home yeah i i don't know what was going through your head man (laughs) i see you brought when you when you brought up the point after we were done recording last tuesday i was like oh man yeah every time xavier does come in we do just squash them like a bug 
Yeah. Granted, when we go to Centos, it's you know not exactly. It could be a different it's a story. Up it, there, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not an easy place to play in. But when Villanova is playing, whether it's at the Pavilion or at the Wells Fargo Center, right now you can at least chalk it up for a W. And I think Ken Palm had us an 83% going into the game yesterday. I thought, man, this game can go either one of two ways. Chris is right, and we destroy them by 20. Or it's a slow game for Villanova, not shooting the ball well. And then they have to come back from behind, and they just don't quite catch them. But no, Villanova, it was the first one. Villanova just left no doubt. Took no prisoners. Everyone run through five was just contributing. Great games by everyone. Really no problems here. And depth didn't look like an issue. Injuries didn't look like an issue. This was a nice win because it's going to get a little easier for now before we get to the real tough stretch of conference play in February. But right now, Villanova took care of business, beating Xavier 89-65 this Saturday. They'll be heading on the road. They'll be going to Madison Square Garden, the world's most famous arena, for the second time this season to take on the St. John's Red Storm. Chris, I covered St. John's Georgetown on, I believe that was, yeah, Tuesday night? Tuesday, yeah. You deserve a raise for that game. Let me tell you, (laughs) if we lose on Saturday, I will be so angry. I will be beyond, like, (laughs) 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 oh, God. This St. John's team is not that good. No, they're just not. They're bad. I don't know if you saw the news last night. There was some conflicting information because at the end of the St. John's Georgetown game, Chris Mullen said in the press conference that Marcus Lovett, Shamor Ponza's partner in crime, another sophomore guard, he was going to be healthy and he was going to be back on the practice floor on Wednesday, yesterday. And then late last night, Marcus Lovett's dad is like, oh, JK, Marcus isn't actually coming back. He's done for the year. And it's confirmed. He's not coming back. This team has really struggled on offense without Marcus Levitt. He's one of their sharpshooters. He's a great three-point shooter. He's a great scorer. We saw what him and Pons did last year. And also in the first few games of this year, they looked so great together. They played so well off each other. And without him, this team is pretty one-dimensional. It's Shamoy Pons or bust. And right now he doesn't look like he's able or capable of carrying a whole team by himself. This team hasn't won a Big East game yet. And I was starting to think, you know, DePaul's not the worst team in the Big East anymore. That Georgetown-St. John's game might have been the battle between 9 and 10 in this conference. St. John's is 0-5 in Big East play. Since Marcus Levett went down, they're just 1-5 against top 100 Ken Palm-ranked teams. And bad news for the Red Storm, Villanova is really, really high up. And they're not just top 100, they're number one in Ken Palm. St. John's season has really just gone down the toilet. And I think in the preview show, I talked about how I expected this team to take a big leap forward with a developing Pons and the developing Levette basically running this team. And I thought Mullen was doing a great job and maybe they get some key wins on the road or maybe a big win at home against maybe, I don't know, like a savior type team or Creighton. But yeah, they're just bad. They're real bad. And that Georgetown game really exemplified how bad these <laughs> they were and Georgetown was and Georgetown's jerseys. God, don't that's a whole other topic. God, what what, what were those jerseys as bad in person? They they were horrible. Yeah. Ugh. Shout out to Mike Jacobs for pointing out that they looked like the Charlotte Hornets. I knew that they looked oh, familiar. Wow, yeah. <laughs> but that as soon as he said it, I was like, Yep, bingo, that's it. But yeah, those teal jerseys are atrocious. I hope to never see them ever again. A lot of us in media were thinking, what's worse? the jerseys or this actual game because there were so many dry spells like there was a whole almost eight minute window 
in which neither team scored a basket. Oof. In the second half, both teams started out three for 14 to begin. There was not a lot of scoring. Thankfully, the game heated up in the last five minutes. It gave some things to write about, gave people a reason to stand up on their feet, get excited. St. John's lost that close one nail-biter at the end. Shimori Pons' three for the tie to force overtime was no good. But I just don't get it. I don't understand how the St. John's team could be that bad yeah. without Mark Slovan. I guess it really shows this whole losing streak has showed how well or how much Lovette really impacts what they do on mm-hmm. offense. Because defensively, this team is pretty solid. I'm not going to lie. They're fine. I mean, they got Tariq Owens, who's averaging almost four blocks per game. So, like, it, they have, like, the defensive stalwarts that they've always had. It's just weird to see. And I, I feel that Shamori Pons has kind of got – I hate to say it, but he's kind of got a Billy Garrett Jr. effect to him. He's a little inefficient. He's 38, uh, just under 39% from the field and under 20% from deep. So he's he's not really an inefficient scorer by any means. So I, I feel that it kind of help, uh, hurts them offensively. I mean, I don't know how much that is due to the fact that they ha- he hasn't had Levet around, but at the same time, it, it's when you're kind of running the one-man show type offense. Yeah, you got Ahmed, who's got about 12 points per game. Clark, who's got about 11.5 points per game. I don't know if they're really helping that much. And I, I feel that Pons kind of feels the need to just do it by himself. And I feel like that's hurting the team more so than actually helping. I've seen St. John's a couple times this season just covering their games. And Shamori Pons has been so underwhelming on offense. So many open looks and he just can't knock it down missing bunnies, not finishing layups, just pretty disappointing. He's still putting up buckets. Like, he's still scoring a good amount. But it's just – it's not the same Shamori Pons that we saw last year that really lit things up as a freshman. They got some new guys like an Arizona transfer and Justin Simon, Marvin Clark, who – they do some nice things, but they're not Marcus Levette. And this team, just to put things in perspective on how much they struggle to score the ball, they're ranked – 264th in shooting inside the arc and outside the arc. They have an effective field goal percentage of just 47.9, which is 273rd in the country. Defensively, they're amazing. They force a lot of turnovers, which I think Shamori Pons really impacts them a lot. He's a really great pickpocket. I really love him on defense. And then when he's in transition or fast breaks from those turnovers he creates, Forget about it. He's he'll kill you there. And that's what he was able to do in a few instances in which St. John's was able to come back against Georgetown. They will block you. It's not going to be a fun time inside. As you mentioned, Tariq Owens is averaging about four a game. He had eight blocks against Georgetown on Tuesday night. And as a whole, overall, as a team, they block shots on just under 20% of shots taken by the opponent. And that's good for third in the country. And they generate turnovers on about one in four opponents' possessions. So it's pretty often they're going to look to pickpocket Villanova. It's interesting to see how the Wildcats do against such a pretty good defense because they don't really turn the ball over a lot. Villanova has a very good turnover rate on the offensive end. So I don't even think St. John's, you know, as good as that defense might be in creating turnovers, creating scoring opportunities off fast breaks. I don't, I don't see how well that, yeah, I just don't see it. It might not be easy going inside with 
Tariq Owens and Kasum Yakwe inside might have to do a lot of shooting from the perimeter, but that's not an issue because St. John's is actually one of the worst three-point defending teams. So I can't see any reason why Villanova would lose this game. I'm not scared for a letdown. I will confidently say that on whack. If St. John's pulls off an upset on Saturday night, I will lead the press box, hand my credential to a random fan. They can take over the podcast for a week as I shun myself into watching the Paul practices for the next month or so oh boy (laughs) (laughs) part of me wants to see uh st john's man just to see what you would do yourself watching the paul games i would love to see the chain of text messages i would get for that (laughs) but i don't i don't i don't want to see you go through such torture that's that's pretty bad whole week paul i don't even think their beat reporter can do that wait did Um, i say a month or a week i i thought i said a month did i say oh you said did you say a month i i i thought i thought i heard a week or maybe that was just the podcast. But either way, that's that's pretty hilarious. Yeah, there's nothing here to suggest that St. John's really has that good of a shot. I, I thought they would. Honestly, going into this year, I thought this might be one of the games that like Villanova kind of stumbles in a little bit. I wouldn't say they would have lost, but I think St. John's would have gave them a game. And in years past, there have been times where St. John's has given Villanova a game at the Garden, I think a couple of years ago. There was that one, and then Villanova has a notorious ability to start slowing these St. John's. I don't think they'll have any trouble. No Levette, and it's basically that was basically their only shot of having him and Pons going off, and with just Pons, I, I don't see much of that happening. On Villanova's end, I'd like to see a repeat of the defensive performance we saw last night. I know St. John's is in the great offensive team, so you know they might only give up 60 to 70 points again. We don't know if that's a more of a defensive thing or a just the St. John's sucks at offense thing. But I would still like to see something in that defensive range there, 60 to 70, build off a good defensive performance and see if you can get that momentum going defensively so that when it does come to that brutal stretch in Biggie's play, they're able to actually put it together and not just get everyone worried again because we're giving up 90 points to the ball. Look, this St. John's team lost to DePaul. They got blown out by DePaul. You don't get blown out by DePaul. You don't. And they also haven't scored over 74 points since Marcus Lovett went down. In fact, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they lost to DePaul. When I look back at their schedule, kind of prepping myself for the Georgetown game, I was like, oh, wow, they're coming off a loss to DePaul. Let me see how that game went. Oh, they got blown out <laughs> at home against DePaul. Oh, great. I, I would also like to throw in for predictions for this Saturday night. Dante DiVincenzo puts up 30, has a career, another career game. Yeah. This guy's a red storm killer. Yeah, he is. The weatherman. Oh. He... <laughs> <laughs> red, red thunder? Red thunder? Just, just, just against St. John's, I'm predicting a partly cloudy skies and a barrage of Dante DiVincenzo threes, dunks, and the whole nine yards because it's going to be raining buckets at Madison Square Garden. Oh, Whether it's Dante or someone else, yeah. I, I honestly, yeah. This is this is the game Dante takes over. He he loves playing St. John's, man. That game last year in the Big East tournament, that was all him. Yeah, the Big East tournament, and then even both regular season meetings last year, he just dominated. He carried Villanova. Like I remember when we went to the Garden last year to play St. John's back in last January. wasn't a great start. wasn't a great game for some of the other marquee names. But then in comes Dante Divincenzo coming off the bench and just lights up the Garden and gives everyone a show. Something about Madison Square Garden and the St. John's Red Storm 
that makes Dante play to unseen levels. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure why he gets up for the St. John's games. I don't know why it's his his type of time to take over. But hey, you know, if if no one else is going, just like last year, and you need someone to step up, he's he's perfect type of guy to do that. And you like to see him get going. I mean, he had a pretty good, he had a decent game. Young Buck, if you are listening, just know that if St. John's wins, you can take my spot on the show for a week or however long it takes as I look and recover from watching DePaul practices every day. But once again, tip-off is this Saturday night at 8 p.m. at the Garden. I will be there covering for View Hoops, and hopefully we'll get some of the View Hoopsters that are in the New York metro area to come out. Chris, are you going to this game? I don't know if you are. I don't, I, know. I don't even think I've ever asked you. I am not. I would like to go. I'm debating. Tickets are pretty cheap. I was looking at them. They're not bad for lower deck. Are they? What are they? What are they going for? I'd like to know because I, I got I, I might. I might consider it. I saw baseline eight rows away for like fifty bucks. Oh, okay. That's very enticing. That might also <laughs> be in the heart of the Red Storm student section. <laughs> uh, whatever. Just point. I don't care. It's St. John's. I'm just gonna go watch. I'm not even gonna cheer that loud. I would just probably actually no. I mean, I would. I would. It's the garden. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I will also say that the St. John's student section was not impressive at all. I mean, there, there are probably no students there, Eugene. Give them the benefit of the doubt on that. Yeah, there were about like three rows of students, and we all sat down the whole game. But they're, on, they're all on break, Eugene. There's no breaks in Big East basketball. Oh, God damn. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the Big East way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no breaks. All grit. So you won't be going to the Garden. I forgot to mention something worth talking about. I hope you have the Fox Business Network on your cable package. I have oh, never. This is this game. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. This is the <sighs> game. I have never heard of that channel before in my life until I saw that Fox, being the bright people that they are, decided to schedule this game for their actual Fox Five Network channel. But then they're like, "Oh, wait a second, the NFL playoffs are on." <laughs> yeah, smart one. Good job, guys. Real, real, real smart. And, of course, Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2 has to be taken by something else. So we have now been pushed to the Fox Business Network. I don't think Villanova's ever played a game on the Fox Business Network. I don't I don't think anyone's ever played on the Fox Business Network. What, what could possibly be on FS1 and FS2 that we're getting bumped for that? You spend all this money on the Big East. What are you doing? Unless the Big – I don't know if any of the Big East games are going on at the same time. Maybe they are. They probably are. I don't want to look it up. But at the same time, like how do you put the, the premier team of the conference you pitch everywhere – to the business network. What the hell? How do you just completely overlook the NFL too while you're at yeah, it? Yeah, I know, right? It's like I oh. think that's the bigger gaffe. <laughs> oh my god! Like you know, the, the the playoffs, the NFL playoffs are the same weekend every year. Like I don't understand why all of a sudden you're like it was like just it just occurred to you guys. Whatever. You know what? Maybe I'll go to the game now because I don't want to watch any of the playoff games this weekend. Once the channel switch was pointed out to me by my good old friends over at. Big East Coast bias. I was like, wow, they try to be real slick about this. But unfortunately, everybody noticed. (laughs) Uh, Prayers out for anyone who goes to Fox, Fox Sports 1 on Saturday night, did not hear the news and is just confused. And then find out that it's on Fox Business Network and unfortunately do not have the channel. But hey, if you don't have the channel, you can always follow the View Hoops live thread. Whether you go on viewhoops.com, I'm sure all the people in the gate threads, they'll keep you all updated. Or if you're on Twitter, you can check out at View Hoops Live and you will have your live updates right up to the second, every second, every minute updated live just for you, all listeners and View Hoopsers. 
putting that aside, the Xavier game was not the only one going on on Wednesday night. We also had the Lady Cats squaring off against the Georgetown Hoyas on the road, going down to McDonough Arena, taking on good old Georgetown. And Kaylee Smith recapped the game, covered it for us. But I was following along. I was in the field covering a couple games, and I was just kind of following it on Twitter. And I saw at the end of the third that we were up, or at some point in the third, we were up by 14. So I thought, oh, great, we had this one in the bag. Then I checked back later when I got home last night, and I saw that we ended up winning by two. And I was so perplexed as to how this happened. Went on Biggie's Digital Network, saw a good chunk of the game on through that. Just when we thought that, you know, Villanova was closing out games well, so that old problem that we had early on in the season when you had the fighter on the ropes and you didn't knock him out, it kind of reared its ugly head again. Georgetown goes for a last-minute, deep fourth-quarter comeback orchestrated by Deanna White, and we talked about how phenomenal she is, one of the best players in the conference. They get it to within three, and then it was just a battle from there, but Villanova was able to hang tough, hold their ground, and win 60-58. to Chris, what stuck out to you about this game? Well, what stuck out to me was their inability to finish down the stretch. They missed three of their final four foul shots on top of some pretty shoddy offensive play to let Georgetown back into it. And again, I just... You just don't understand why they just have this tendency to just collapse towards the end of the game. I mean, yeah, they ended up winning. Okay, fine. That's great. But you hope that they're, they're able to correct this because this, it's kind of, this is going to come back and bite them in a crucial game. You just know it is. But what stuck out to me was good was they had a great second quarter. They outscored Georgetown 15-5. to And with between the first and third quarter basically being virtual ties, that second quarter put them ahead. And that's what really got spurred their their lead and was able they were able to build upon that get a 14 point lead before eventually giving out due to just some pre four free throw shooting as a team they shot five of 11 from the line so not only are they not getting there a lot they're not making them when they're there alex lewin had a particularly tough game from the line she just went one of six but she was able to contribute eight boards and seven points so i mean it's forgivable because she was able to play some good defense and was able to get some key boards but you, you kind of hope that she's able to make those free throws down the shreds. Kelly Jaycott, I think she was between Kelly Jaycott and Adriana Hahn, both of them, they spearheaded that run to really to put them ahead, give them that big lead. Jaycott went 5'11 from the field, 2 of 5 from deep. Hahn was 6 of 10 from the field, 4 of 6 from deep. So they both shot pretty well. And more importantly, it was from deep where we highlighted last time where Georgetown has a pretty good three point defense. So they were able to hit those shots where past previous games, they haven't been able to hit those threes, finishing with 14 and 17 points respectively. The other thing I really liked about Villanova's game in that one was just how well they moved the ball around, assisting on 17 of 23 baskets. That's a real, real good ratio. That's really good to see that ball movement, not seeing the ball be so stagnant like it was in against Creighton or against Butler, when they gave up that ugly run and let the Bulldogs pretty much just run all over them, it was really good to see them buckle down. Also, on defense, holding Georgetown to shooting just 2 of 12 from deep. Great, great work. Really locking down on Michaela Venson, who is that sharp shooter, transfer from Virginia. She really excelled from the three-point line. She couldn't even take off from there. They were denying her so well from there. And she was held to only eight points. Deanna White, she's pretty good. She'll get hers. She had 19. Can't really complain too much. But I loved the defensive effort. Got a little got a little light towards the end. But hey, they were able to hang on for the win. And now they're back above 500, 3-2 in the Big East. This is a good good win. A good, nice good win because now they've won back-to-back Big East games for the first time this season. Real rocky start. Losing to Creighton. Then coming back with a win against Providence. Second half comeback. Then losing a real tough one against Butler. Losing by almost 
losing by double digits. And now here we are. They've now won two straight against Xavier and Georgetown. And and you got to hope that this is the start of them finally trying to find consistency, getting their footing within this conference, right? Yeah, you hope so, because you now you got two big road games coming up this weekend. You start off with Seton Hall Friday, and then you got to go to St. John's and play them on Sunday. So it's it is quick hitters for them this week. Go from D.C. back to Jersey to New York, then to come home. It's a long road trip. It is a long road trip, although it's all within one week. It's a lot of basketball to be played in a very short amount of time. You hope that you're able to build upon one road win because the the, the road games don't get any they don't get any easier from here on out. No, not at all. This, yesterday was the start of a four games within a seven day stretch. They got Georgetown, Seton Hall, St. John's, and then back home at Penn. Four games in one week. So it's going to be a lot of traveling. It's not going to be easy to keep up for all these games, especially once we get closer to the end of this very tightly packed week. Against Penn, you're going for a big five crown. But before you get to that, you have to deal with all these rapid fire, a game every other day, traveling D.C., New Jersey, New York, just like you said. Thankfully, this is not exactly a real tough part of the schedule. I mean, it's tough in logistics, traveling, and all these games, rapid fire. Mm-hmm. But Seton Hall and St. John's, they're not exactly top-tier teams in this conference. What sticks out to you? I guess let's first start with the Pirates, and then we'll go to the Red Storm since the Seton Hall game is first. So let's look at that one, and then we'll look at St. John's. As we record here Thursday morning, Seton Hall is currently sitting at 9-7, and 1-4 and four in Big East play. There are four losses coming at DePaul, at Marquette, at Butler, and home against Creighton, with their lone win coming at home against Providence. Diving into their roster, their star player – for Seton Hall is Denasia Fountain. She's a grad transfer from Temple. She's averaging 14.4 points per game, just under seven boards per game, and shooting a casual 38% from the field. The resident sharpshooter for Seton Hall, you know how much I love my sharpshooters, is Jaquan Jackson. She's shooting 42% from deep, 36 of 85 on the year, 45% from the field, and she's got a little bit of Marcus Howard in her in terms of free throws. She's shooting 96% from the free throw line. Granted, she's only taken 22 free throws, which means she made 21 of them, but if you foul her, she's going to make it. And another player I want to highlight is Taylor Brown, another rebounder of sorts for Seton Hall. She's averaging five boards per game while also contributing just under 10 points. Strouton is pretty much the player that really gets the Pirates going. But overall, Seton Hall is just, I don't want to say it's been really rough because they have a winning record, but the second half of the season so far hasn't been so kind for them. They had a three-game losing streak sprinkled in. They haven't won back-to-back since November. It's been really rocky, really tumultuous. We'll see how they do, but honestly... I don't know about you, Chris, but I think Villanova's got this one in the bag. Yeah, despite the road environment, I think they should handle this with relative ease. If if they struggle, I'd be a little concerned for what's going forward, but I, I think they'll be fine. Once again, this game is this Friday night at 7 p.m. The game will be broadcasted on the Big East Digital Network, as always, for pretty much every game from now on, till, except for Penn. Next up for Nova after that is the good old Johnnies over there in Queens. Chris, what's your take on them, and how are they looking so far? So yeah, St. John's, as we record here Thursday, sitting at 10 and 7, 3 and 3 within the conference. They have they lost their first three games in conference against Marquette, DePaul, and Providence. And then they are currently sitting on a three-game winning streak, uh, with wins coming over Creighton, Xavier, and Butler. And one thing St. John's likes to do, they like to play in overtime. They've played 
in in four overtime games this year. They've won two, lost two, losing one of them in double overtime against Fordham. They have a two and two record within overtime, so maybe we'll see some overtime action for the first time all year for Villanova. So they kind of got a five-hit monster over there at St. John's. Uh, they have five players averaging over double digits, but it, it looks like they have like six, six to seven key rotational pieces that are pretty much interchangeable. Just going down the list, Akina Weller, she's averaging 12 points per game. Maya Singleton, 12 points per game. Adria Adams and Kadasha Hoppy, both averaging 11 points per game. Tiana England. She's around 10 points per game. They have five people averaging double digits. There's a lot, which is kind of different from what we've seen throughout the rest of the Big East. You kind of see one to two star players and then just kind of rest the filler. But no, St. John's has some great depth, and Adams and Hoppy aren't even uh, regular starters. So it just shows that they're a pretty deep team. Let's see how that plays out against Villanova. But one thing I do want to point out is that St. John's does play pretty good three-point defense. They are allowing just 34% of shots from beyond the arc to go in. So we'll see how Villanova is able to combat that as they kind of did against Georgetown, who had a similarly good three-point defense. The St. John's team had a really impressive win in overtime against Creighton, as you mentioned. But before that, they lost their first three biggest games to start. Very interesting team with the five different players averaging at least 10 points per game. Very interesting because Villanova, like you said, has not played an opponent like that. So it's interesting to see how Villanova will be able to counter that depth whether it's more of the, I don't want to say household names, but more of the prominent players like Jaycott, Han, Lewin, or if it's going to be a balanced effort, or if we're going to see some big games from some of the players off the bench like Mary Gadeka, Bridget Herlihy, or her sister Brianna. We've had players show great glimpses here and there, a lot of different players that can do different things, but with just such a loaded, talented team in that they have five different double-digit scores, this is going to be a pretty good test for some of Villanova's players in that this is going to be a pretty good test for Villanova because that's going to force all five players to pretty much have to guard up. There's there's going to be no sleeping on anyone. This, you won't be able to just be like, oh, this person can score more we'll, or we'll give them their looks. But we're going to really focus on these. Everyone's going to have to play straight up man-to-man defense, lock down, hold the ground. It's going to be very interesting to see because – not everyone in Villanova is known to be a great lockdown defender. So it looks like everyone's going to get their work in on Sunday. How do you feel that this game is going to turn out? Yeah, no, that's a great point you bring up. Because one trend that we noticed with this team throughout the year so far has been, you know, let the star player do whatever they want. But as long as you lock down everybody else, everything should play out okay. And for the most part, that's worked out. Except for, I believe, the Butler game was really the one issue where they had with that. But yeah, like you said, this is going to be a, a, a an entire team effort. The entire starting lineup is going to have to pretty much play lockdown defense. No tired legs. I think this team should be okay. I mean, St. John's has a lot of minutes on, on their legs right now between all the overtime games. Um, they've, they've played a pretty tight schedule as of late as well. So it's not just Villanova playing the four games in, how, in 10 days. Hopefully, you got to expect a full team effort. You can't just rely on the big three. Han. Lewin and Jaycott to carry you. You're going to need a full-blown team effort defensively and offensively. Tip-off will be this Sunday at 2 p.m. Once again, it will be on the Big E's digital network. So we got pretty loaded weekend. Action Friday, Saturday, and Sunday with the men's team taking the floor at Madison Square Garden on Saturday night. And then the women's team bookending the Saturday game with one on Friday and then one on Sunday afternoon. So pretty loaded weekend 
in Villanova hoops. Be certainly one to watch for. But for now, we're going to turn our attention to questions to the mailbag. As always, you can tweet us at SONNPod with your questions, and we will discuss them on the show. You can also leave your questions, comments, or anything you want us to talk about in the comment section of the VU Hoops page in the state of the Nova Nation comment section on pretty much any thread, preferably the most recent ones, and they'll find their way to us. First question is from Mike Jacobs. Well, he had a conditional. He said, asking pre-Xavier game, if Nova beats Xavier, why will this team reach the national championship? And if Nova loses to Xavier, why won't this team get past the second round? Since we did beat the Musketeers, we're going to talk about why this team will reach the national championship. Two reasons. Jalen Brunson, Mikhail Bridges. Well, actually, I'm going to have to make it three reasons. Three reasons. <laughs> Jalen Brunson, Mikhail Bridges, and everyone else who can be a contributor. Jalen Brunson is the captain on the ship. Mikhail Bridges is right-hand man standing atop the crow's nest, seeking out the danger, using his long forearms to pretty much ward off any potential danger and warn us ahead of time. And then it's all the other contributing crew members that help make the ship go. I like your analogy. Oh, thank you. Jalen Brunson and Mikhail Bridges are two amazing players. We've seen them both ranked on top 10, I guess, top 10 player polls. I don't even know what they are. Polls? Articles? Whatever they are. Lists. Lists. Bleacher Report slideshows. Oh, worst. To make one time, I did sift through a. I want to say it was close to fifty. Yeah, I, yeah, it was probably fifty because it had to be a round number. Fifty top NBA players. I literally sat through and watched the whole slideshow once in my younger years. And was the comment section just basically debating why whoever was thirty-eight, and not like number twelve or something? No, it was at the time. It was when the LeBron Michael Jordan debate was hot. Oh. I mean that's still hot. That's still that's still. Right, it's still it's still going, but like it was when it was peak. <laughs> I got you. That's the worst. Continue, continue. Why are we gonna win the national championship? I think this team is more talented than 2015-16. Jalen Brunson's amazing. Mikael Bridges is amazing. Omari Spellman, if he can get his stuff together on the court and just be like the guy that we saw after Atlantis when he was just really cooking on all areas of the court, especially in that Temple game where it looked like, man, this is Fried Omari. This is what we all imagined. And then you have Eric Pascal being able to hit his threes now. And hopefully we'll have Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels back. And that's just only going to spell even more trouble for everyone not wearing Villanova on their jersey. Between depth, between the talent level, between the athleticism on this team, there's a lot of reasons why I think this team will reach a national championship. And a lot of them has to do with Jalen Brunson and his greatness. Fair enough. I, I think they win the national championship based on their defense and playing like the defense they kind of had last night. Few teams are going to score more than 70 points against that type of defensive effort. So hopefully hopefully they're able to maintain that throughout the year. And if they're not, hopefully they're able to turn it on in March because that that's what makes this team tick. I mean, we love the offense and they're one of the most efficient offenses in all the country and Jalen has is amazing. Brad Bridges is amazing, as you said. But I feel that what will carry this team to the promised land is the defense. So, next question from Jared Quinn: Are you concerned about the contributions of DCR as we get into Big East conference games? Is he making progress we need to win conference games? Chris, you want to start this one? Sure. Yeah, I I think he's he's come along pretty well. I mean, he he had. He went. He was perfect from the field last night. Three of three, good for six points. 
he looked a little tip happy. He looked like he was playing a little bit of volleyball out there on some of the uh, rebounds. He wasn't very intent on grabbing the ball, but I, I think he's played phenomenally. Like I, I wouldn't have expected this type of play as of late. I think he's shooting over 70% from the floor. He's getting great looks. Jalen and Phil are all, and whoever really are really are looking to feed him inside. He's, he's a key contributor right now. I mean, he's not going to light up the scoreboard every now and then, or if they want to go big, maybe give uh Bridges or Booth, a breather, Jalen, whatever it may be. Um, I, I think he's progressed phenomenally. I only expect better, bigger and better things from him from here on out. Uh, I, I think the expectation for him coming in was kind of another Daryl Reynolds type. And honestly, I would have been fine with that. But I think he's coming along faster than Daryl, than much faster and much better. And I think he can be a little bit more better than Daryl, uh, a little bit better than Daryl. It's funny you mentioned Daryl Reynolds because when you say tip happy, that's exactly who I thought of as soon as you said yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> two hands, Daryl, two yeah, hands. Two hands. Just go up and grab it. That's all you got to do. DCR is shooting 78.6% for those of you keeping score. So good luck, Chris. He is 22 for 28 on the floor overall this season. I do like DCR. I think he had some good minutes off the bench. Like you said, it doesn't do anything too crazy, but. I like the energy he comes out with. I think he's pretty athletic for a big man. Nothing looks really awkward or uncoordinated with him. You know, some big men. Like, for example, yes. Chef, yes. Chef in the post year. during his younger yes, years. Yes, yeah. That yeah, was, freshman year especially. That was an adventure every time. <laughs> <laughs> please, please, Chef, if it's not a dunk, don't try to go for the spinning baby hook. Yeah, please, please don't go for the spinning baby hook. Please. I like DCR. I think he's actually progressing better than – or he's at a – better point now than definitely ahead of Dale Reynolds, but I think he's doing better than Chef was his freshman year. He might not have the, the, as many minutes as Chef did, but he seems to do very well when he's out there. Doesn't try to do anything too crazy. Goes for the smart shot, whether it's layup or dunk. And he just comes out with such great energy. I think that there's sometimes he messes up on defense, but I think that just comes with being a freshman and having some growing pains. Mm-hmm. I do like his game so far. Like you said, I think coming in, the expectations were kind of low on him. I think more people right. were hyped for Jermaine Samuels and Colin Gillespie especially, and there wasn't just much about Demir Kaz Roundtree. And I don't think the Dale Reynolds comparisons really helped anybody out with that because then that meant, oh, I guess that means we're not going to really see him until his junior year. Mm-hmm. But here he is playing good minutes as a freshman. Great. It can only go up from here, really. And so far, he's off to a good start with his Villanova career. This last one is, I guess, more of like a note with a couple questions sprinkled in. But this one's from Relax2009. He says, love the podcast. Which one of you guys picked Xavier tonight? Don't head down to my town, Atlantic City, anytime soon. Defensive intensity was huge tonight. Give Cos Roundtree credit. His minutes have been great. Really filling his world perfectly. Get Delaney more minutes. His attitude is tremendous. Let him use some fouls more. Spellman needs to post up and go up strong way more. Also, we'd love to see two bigs together more often. Saw DCR and Spellman together tonight. Do it more, Jay. Spellman, from his days in suburban Cleveland, down the road for me is a true stretch foreman. Go Cats. Well, I pick Xavier. I don't plan on heading down to Atlantic City. <laughs> Back I'm sure when I took my money to the bookie and he saw that I bet against Villanova at home, he was like, and this money will be mine forever. (laughs) 
It's funny. He actually brings up DCR, and yeah, yeah his minutes have been great. I, I like it. So I guess now you have relaxed 2009's opinion on DCR to answer yeah. De- Jerry Quinn's question. Yeah, there you go. Delaney Moore minutes? Yeah, yeah, sure. Bring out Delaney Moore to be a sponge and take some more fouls. I have no problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard anyone be called a sponge as a basketball player before. <laughs> but to I guess to absorb fouls, yeah, that that's that's good. That's good. I know Harry Pretta uses uh, lawn gnomes a lot. Lawn gnomes? <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 he apparently yells at his team like don't be a lawn gnome <laughs> like don't just stand there and watch like do something that's great wow i'm gonna start using that now i i hope to play one just a game pick a basketball soon just so i could just throw sponge and lawn gnome out there <laughs> oh that would be fun but yes thank you for your uh your kind words, and I'll be heading down the AC. I guess I'll, I'll make all the bets in the world. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, you pick. Yeah, you picked Nova, which was definitely the good call. Uh, probably the more sensible call. I, I was probably channeling my inner Skip Bayless there. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it was reasonable at the time, but whatever. Nova covered too. They were nine, nine and a half favorite, and they they obviously won by twenty plus. So I'll I'll take. Um, I would have taken my money there. I actually, would, I probably would have taken Nova's with the points. But the last point about Spellman, I, I'm a little surprised. I feel like sometimes Spellman struggles with finishing strong down low. There, obviously, I've seen him do it, but not as much as I thought he. I like, I like. There are times when I see him struggle, and I wouldn't have thought he would have had that problem. I, I do think he'll be a true stretch forward coming down the road, like Omari a lot. But, yeah, I would love to see him just go up with it. It's not as bad as, like, I guess Chef. Chef didn't really – Chef was more of a finesse guy now that I think yeah. about it. His, his younger years, he was not about looking to go up strong and throw it down or, like, get a get a tough layup to drop. He was about the, like fi- – Yeah, <laughs> making it look pretty. Pump fake, yeah, pump yeah. fake, finesse, hook shot. Yeah, no, that, that was his game. And you knew he had that power to just go up and, and throw it down, but he just he just refused to channel it until late junior year, basically, and then until like pretty much all of his senior year. But yeah, I, I mean, look, Amari, it's just I think it's just be, uh, because he's a freshman, he's still learning to find his game. He has those moments where it's like, oh, he's that's why he was a top twenty recruit, and then he has those moments like, oh, and that's why he's a freshman. He'll put it together. I'm not I'm not too concerned. I think he's fine. I he'll I think he'll come around. I, I really have no issue with the way he's playing. I mean, it's not the best right now, but he, he'll, he'll come into his own. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation podcast. Please subscribe to us if you haven't already. You can do it on Podomatic, Apple Podcasts, or on iTunes. You have options. Please follow VU Hoops on Twitter and on Instagram at VU Hoops. Also, be sure to check back on the website this weekend. We'll have all the hoops covered for you, women's and men's previews, recaps, and some analysis. And also, please follow me, Eugene Repay, at eRepay5. And you can follow me, Chris Stanziel, at the Stansman on Twitter. Nova Nation, happy Thursday. Have a good weekend. I have a pretty darn good feeling that we're still going to be number one for next week. Pretty good feeling.